Hello and welcome to Kyrinos Finsight, the podcast that explores some of the most pressing topics for financial services. Insights that help you navigate today and anticipate tomorrow. Hello and welcome to the Kyrinos Finsight podcast. Today my guest is Greg Munson, who's head of treasury and balance sheet management here at Kyrinos. Welcome, Greg, to the podcast. Before we dive into talking about deposit life, and we'll define what that is, can you tell us what your role is at Kyrinos? Hey, Rucker. Yeah, thanks for having me. Uh, my, I'm a director at Kyrinos, and I lead our treasury and balance sheet management division. And so the work I do for our clients is around things like interest rate risk measurement and management and liquidity risk measurement and management. So help some of our clients that aren't yet banks to uh, navigate that charter application process and, and try to become banks. Glad to have you here. And it sounds like you're the, the right man for the job. You've been spending time talking with clients about how rising rates uh, have implications for deposit life. Can you start out by telling us what deposit life is and why it is important? Yeah, so maybe unsurprisingly, deposit life is the amount of time that, think about a dollar of deposits, you know, the amount of time that that will be on a bank's balance sheet. That's going to be influenced by the behaviors of the underlying customer, how they interact with their checking accounts or savings accounts or, or term deposit accounts. The key is that they can close that account tomorrow or they could keep it open for another 10 years. There's a non-maturity aspect is the term they use in the industry. And so a lot of unknown and, and, and thus a lot of uh, big need to kind of measure you know, what the behavioral life is. So the life of the deposit on the balance sheet of the bank. Interesting. Is, is deposit life the same thing as behavioral life or is it different? You know, it's the, it's it's the same thing in my estimation. There's there's a lot of different words or phrases that that are used to to get at the same idea. One bank could call it expected life. Another bank might call it behavioral life. Somebody might use the the acronym WALL or weighted average life to to explain it. But they're all trying to get at the long term stability of that deposit. You know, how long is it going to be around? So now, now that we have identified what deposit life means and why it is important, can you please tell us what has been happening lately? I think it goes without saying that in the past few years, we've been on a pretty wild ride, starting with COVID and the, 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 the rapidly falling rate environment and, 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 and going through the, the lockdown and reopening and now through the, the kind of rapidly rising rate environment. All these things affect the deposit life because they affect the way that that people are using their their deposit accounts or they affect the the behaviors of, we observe in those deposit accounts if you think about anything that affects the the balance in someone's checking account that is affecting deposit life so so income for one employment and unemployment trends uh, will affect the life because that affects the amount of money going into the accounts uh, and other things too, like government stimulus that we saw and observed during the COVID crisis period, that, that, that's in a way a sort of income. And so that's affecting the deposit life as well. And then on the flip side, spending. You had a lockdown and then a reopening. So that swung spending in, in, in two different directions. And now, of course, inflation. So the things that people are buying you know, cost more. So all, all these things are, are, are affecting you know, that, that balance in the account. And so they're affecting the deposit life. So does deposit life impact 
profitability for a bank? It definitely does, Rutger. The way that, that I like to think about it in in kind of plain English terms at, at first is to think about maybe a bucket of water with a hole in it. And so the bucket is leaking. There is a, a smaller a hole in that bucket, and also a smaller leak. You know, the bank has to expend some calories to keep that bucket filled up, but not as much energy as if that hole was larger and the outflow of water was was more substantial. They'd be kind of spending a lot of energy, a lot of calories to to keep that bucket full. And I think that the, the analogy is to to deposit gathering. If if the deposits that the bank is gathering they're all short life, then they kind of have to keep spending energy, spending money to to replace those. That helps me kind of better understand that long-term stable deposits are are better for the bank. The impact of deposit life on profitability is to to use maybe kind of some simple bond concepts or fixed income concepts. You know, imagine for a minute the a bank couldn't gather deposits from its customers hypothetically and and they had to issue debt in the capital markets to 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 fund the balance sheet. Uh, if they wanted to issue a, a seven-year bond, it would it would cost them more than than issuing a, a three-year bond. Generally, at least how things will work, assuming an upward sloping yield curve. So in the same way, the replacement cost or the or the the, the value of a deposit that's going to be around for seven years. Is is higher or greater than the replacement cost or the value that is that a, that a three year deposit provides the bank. So, the key is that longer term, longer stable deposits are are more valuable for the bank, and that's kind of the bottom line record. Yeah, no, that's helpful. It's a helpful way to think about it, and and how quickly do the do the deposits sort of flow away out of that bucket, and how much energy does it require you to then replace? new deposits at the at the top of the bucket. That's, I think, a helpful way to think about it, as well as sort of like the bond example that you gave. So um, I think that gives a good idea of how it impacts profitability. Now, do banks pay enough attention to this metric? You know, yes and no. I, it, it, this is certainly not a, a groundbreaking new metric. It has been around for, for a long, long time here. But I think, you know, in my view, banks' approach to, to measuring this is, you know, leaves a little bit to be desired. So, so first of all, I'd say, you know, the frequency with which we take this pulse as an industry should be improved. Oftentimes, banks do a study to, to understand deposit life and, uh, and then they check the box and put that study up on the shelf and, and kind of use that for, for a few years. When in reality, the, the deposit life or the behaviors are, are kind of constantly changing. So there's a way that more frequent information would benefit the, the users. And then, and then also kind of the granularity. So a bank may measure the expected life or behavior life of their consumers' checking accounts and have one assumption for all those. When in reality, you know, there's lots of different segments of consumers within the bank. There may be kind of mass affluent or then affluent or wealthy customers. They, they may be banking customers in different regions which of the country which, which behave differently. They may be, you know, they may have customers where they are the primary bank and customers where they are the, the kind of secondary bank in the, in the wallet, so to speak. And so, you know, all these things are, are worthwhile dimensions along which affected life should be segmented. 
that's going to provide more useful information to, to the bank. So certainly there there is room to pay more attention to is also in kind of a little bit more detail. And I assume especially now, right, that the rates are, are rising and potentially the hole in the bucket gets bigger, uh, you might want to pay more attention to that. So that's that's helpful to, to understand that. Is it mostly the Treasury Department that, that tracks this deposit life or is it important for other departments in the bank to to know about this as well? Treasury is typically responsible for measuring this. You know, it's their job to understand this. And then they use that information for things like asset liability management or ALM or funds transfer pricing or FTP. So they, they measure it and they use it. But there, there, there are many other areas of the bank that, that, that have an interest in this. First, the easy one is, is risk. They're typically responsible for making sure the measurement is up to snuff. And so they'll be you know, in the weeds of the calculation, making sure things are, are, are working correctly there. But then really importantly, the bank's lines of business, the retail or commercial or small business banking arms of the, of the bank, really a key insight or key assumption for them. First of all, it's a part of the way that those balances and therefore the, the customers that, that those businesses are banking, part of the profit, profitability picture of those customers. And so they'll want to know whether funding is, is, is around for a long time or, or not so much because it's going to shape how attractive these customers are to the bank. And then it also is going to inform, gee, thinking about the next three years, how much are we going to have to fight to, to grow by that 5% number that's maybe in our plan? And it goes back to the leaking bucket analogy. If that hole in the bucket is bigger than the business thinks it is, then actually the business is going to have to be way more aggressive and spend way more energy to, to keep that water at the light, right line. And if they, if they don't know that, then I think that's, um, uh, that's, a, that's a kind of a big red flag. So it's important that, that different parts of the bank are aware of this deposit's life. So treasury, not the only one, also risk and also the business. That makes, makes a lot of sense that everyone needs to be sort of aligned on that. So now that we've established sort of deposit life is getting shorter, what should banks do to stay on top of the issue? To me, it starts with measurement. It starts with increasing the frequency at which this deposit life is measured and then also increasing the granularity at which it's measured. And we just talked about that. It's, that, to me, results in better information for the bank. But then once they have that, they shouldn't kind of shouldn't stop there. They should feed that information through to the way that deposits are valued internally in the bank. So that's often funds transfer pricing. They should feed that into asset liability management so that they understand really how asset or liability sensitive they are as a bank. Definitely should feed it into to business planning to make sure they understand how much the bucket is leaking. Therefore, you know, how much work they got to do to keep, keep the bucket full, better, better measurement, and then, and then feed it through and, and start to make decisions based on that, that improved set of information. And especially in this, this dynamic market where things are changing, it, to your point, you need to measure it and then, and then sort of respond to that. So that, yeah, that makes a lot of sense uh, to me. The Fed will ultimately stop raising rates at some point and may even start to reduce them. Does this mean that deposit life automatically lengthens? And there's nothing to worry about? I think that's a fair hypothesis to have. 
I think we generally see that when rates increase, I'm talking about market interest rates, when market interest rates increase, deposit lives shorten. And that's because for one, there are more attractive offers out there for, for, for CD accounts, for, for high yield savings accounts. And so the money is a little bit more in motion and that, that's going to lead to shortening of deposit life. Um, and then conversely, when rates fall, that kind of has the effect of putting, putting a lot of that activity to sleep, at least taking the shininess out of, out of some of the, the top of market rates. But, but market interest rates is really only one thing driving behaviors. There's, there's tons of other things, as we've seen through this COVID pandemic period. The lockdown and then the reopening and just the, the shifts in consumer and company spending that have come from that, that has a really pronounced effect on behavioral life. And so what, what, what does go forward look like from that perspective? And then inflation, obviously, we've seen that have a big effect on the levels of, of deposits in, in, in consumer and businesses accounts. And so what's the outlook for inflation? So it's really you have to think about these future scenarios and in a few more dimensions than just interest rates. You're going to have to think a little bit more broadly about what affects consumer behavior. And that's, I think, the, the better way that you, you forecast expected life or behavioral life here. Great. Yeah. So the, the market is quite dynamic, right? Fed rates going up, we're in inflation, maybe a recession. We're seeing the, the market go up and down. So in that sense, certainly time for banks to play, pay close attention to their deposits life. Um, thank you very much for, for providing all your, your insights. Finally, Greg, we're asking each guest, what is a term or an acronym or lingo that you would like to redefine? You know, Rucker, what I think of is that behavioral life is tends to be measured at the product level. A bank will say consumer savings as a weighted average life of five years, a consumer checking account as a weighted average life or behavioral life of six years. But really what's what's missing there is an appreciation, I think, that the bank manages entire customer relationships and should think about the customer first and not kind of jump to the, the product to, to, to set these assumptions. In other words, what's the expected life of a consumer relationship holistically? I think that is the better way to do things. So this, this convention to measure deposit life at the product level, I think needs to go. And I think we need to think about consumers holistically. That's a great way to redefine that. Thank you for that. Uh, you also brought us a FinSight fact. And the FinSight fact for today is that the behavioral life of the average consumer savings account shortens by three years in a rising rate environment. That is a very in, insightful fact. If you want to learn more about that, you can go to our website. There's lots of information there. Thank you again, Greg, for joining us today. Um, and as always, thank you to our Curinos FinSight's team. Robin Seidel is our Director of Thought Leadership, Editing and Production by our Senior Designer, Adrian Cohen, Project Management by our Marketing Communications Manager, Megan Brissett. Music is by Vision Studios. I'm your host, Rutger Van Fossen. You can find more insights at curanos.com. Please subscribe and review wherever you listen to podcasts.